Good morning. Um, I am Kennedy, and I will be reading the passage of Scripture today, if I can open my Bible. All right, the passage of Scripture today is 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am remembered of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, what? Unis. And now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For a reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you as well, right through the laying of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not to fear, but of power and love and self-control. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kennedy. Appreciate that. Let's just uh, open a word of prayer. Dearly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word, O oh God. And we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to come together and to receive from that word. So we ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would meet us here in this place. God, you know each and every heart. You know each and every person. You know what we face, what we struggle with, what we're going through. And Lord, I thank you, God, that your desire is to meet us right where we are today and to give us fresh revelation and knowledge of you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, if you haven't done so, please go ahead and turn to that passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 1. The title of my message today is According to the Promise. As the Apostle Paul writes this letter to young Timothy, he, he introduces himself by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says to Timothy, he says, listen, uh, I'm here according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And church, I want us to understand that there is a promise that God wants us to live our lives according to. Yes. It's the promise of the reality of Christ and the cross and what he did for us. And so uh, that's what I want to share with you today as Timothy, write, or as Paul writes to Timothy, he he touches on some of these, these attributes, some of the attributes of, the, of, these, of this promise, some of the things that God would desire, God would want us to live our lives according to, but unfortunately, in my, I feel like oftentimes we, we, we become cold to these things, or we miss them, and so I want to go through some of these things that I see in this passage of scripture here with you today. Now, please, these are things that God has just been really laying on my heart, and so it's not uh, in any way exhaustive. As you look through this passage of scripture on your own, I'm sure you might be able to see uh, some things uh, that I don't see or whatever that might be, but this is what I really just, God has been showing me, and I've been just really just kind of wrestling with the Lord with on my own. Uh, when I was young, as long as I can remember growing up, I had this really intense fear of heights. Anybody relate with me on that? Uh, a couple of you? That's unfortunate. Okay. I was hoping for more. Uh, 
you should be. I mean, because you could fall off and die. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's in my opinion, a healthy fear. Uh, I, I was always afraid of heights, but unfortunately, uh, that fear, uh, off, it, man, it, it was kind of a crippling fear. It was a little bit more than just a normal fear, and, and so as a result, I was terrified of roller coasters, you know? I, like, I hated going on roller coasters, and I wouldn't do it. I would not go on roller coasters. And so whenever I was hanging out with my friends or, or we were going somewhere with the youth group and we were somewhere where there was a roller coaster, uh, I was the guy holding the purses. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, you know what? Somebody needs to take care of this. And you know what? I'll, lay, I'll make the sacrifice, right? Like, I'll, I'll do it. And, and so I would always volunteer to hold everybody's purses so that they could go. So it was me and the moms with the babies and the grandmas with the heart conditions, you know, just sitting there watching everybody else have a really good time, you know? And there was a part of me that was envious. You know, there was a part of me that that really, man, I, I, wanted, I wanted to, I didn't want to be with the moms and the grandmas. I wanted to be experiencing what my friends were experiencing. I wanted, to, I wanted to have the adventure, the thrill. I wanted to experience those things. But there was this fear that was just crippling inside of me. And so as a result, I, I opted to hold the bags. And I remember my friends would come off, you know, and, 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 and it was just, you know, so silly. You got like this 14-year-old kid. It's just like, oh, I'll, I'll take a picture for you. You know what I mean? Like, you remember those disposable cameras? That's what we had back then. Uh, trying to take a picture. I don't know if I, you know, you don't know if you got it or not. <laughs> just, just smile and wave when you come by. And I remember they would come off the roller coaster and everybody's just jazzed. You know, they're so pumped. I mean, the adrenaline's pumping, the endorphins are going like, dude, that was awesome. They're high-fiving each other and like, oh, oh, remember, you know, remember the turn or remember this. And, and they're just all like sharing this experience. And I remember like, like just feeling so dumb because I'd kind of like come up and be like, oh yeah, that was great. You know, like, like wanting to be a part of the group, but clearly I wasn't, you know. I was on the outside looking in. And not because they were mean or a jerk, but it's just because I was too afraid to experience what they were experiencing. I was too afraid to, to be able to step out and to do what they were doing. And so I'll never forget one day, my, uh, we were with, with the youth group and we were taking a trip. We were in California. And we stopped one day at Six Flags Magic Mountain Theme Park. Have you ever been to Six Flags? Six Flags is awesome. Six Flags has like the best and the biggest roller coasters that I've ever seen, you know, that I've ever experienced. I mean, it's just all roller coasters. You know, I don't even know if they have like a kid's section. It's just all like, you could die here, you know what I mean? And so we're going to this roller, we're going into this, um, uh, this theme park, and uh, I remember we're pulling up in the church van into the parking lot, and Pastor Mark, who's my youth pastor at the time, he turns to me and he says, today you're going to ride every single roller coaster with me. And... And there's this, like, he's not joking, you know? <laughs> like, like, he's almost kind of angry, you know? He's like, you're going to do this. And, and, like, this fear just wells up inside of me. I'm like, what? what? No, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to hold the bags. I already figured it out, you know? Like, that's my plan. He's like, no, you're going on every ride with me, and I don't care what you say, you're going to do it. And I'm just like, I remember thinking, like, are you allowed to say this? You know what I mean? Like, like is this legal, you know? I had lots of thoughts like that growing up <laughs> in youth group. Youth group in the 90s was awesome. But, um, and so he did. He's like, no, you're doing this. And, and so literally, as much as I complained and as much as I tried to get out of it, he literally grabbed me by the arm and he's like, you're doing this. 
And so I'm like, okay. Now, part of me was okay with this because I, I was ashamed. You know, it was embarrassing being the guy holding the purses, you know? And so I didn't necessarily want to be that guy. I just was settling to be that guy because I was too afraid to be something else. And so I was, I was, so part of me, I was glad that Pastor Mark was forcing me against my will to do it. There was part of me that was, okay, this is a good thing for me. But then there was a very, uh, there was another part of me that was very much more real and louder that was saying, no, you're going to die, you know? And so, uh, you know, I'm struggling and Pastor Mark's not having anything, you know, any, anything to do with it. He's just like, you're doing this. And so we go and I'm thinking in my mind, okay, fine. He'll probably start me off with some easy rides, right? Like, let's work our way up to this, okay? Let's, let's, let's put our toe in the water, you know? Like, like we'll, we'll just get in the shallow end. We'll, we'll do some easy rides and experience it. No, that was not his strategy. <laughs> and so we proceed into the park, and we pass all of these rides, and we go straight to the tallest ride in the park. You know those, those, those ones, that are the Tower of Screaming Death, or whatever they call it? I don't, I don't know, but it's always this giant tower, right? It's these, these massive towers, and there's always the, like, scream is always in the name, right? Like, and, and so, and so uh, we go to this thing, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And the whole time waiting in line, I'm just, my heart is beating. I'm, I'm so afraid. And, 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 but yet here we are, and, and we sit down, and then there's this little bar that comes down, right? And, and this has always really confused me because I'm, I'm sitting here going, wait a second, this is it? Like, there's more safety harnesses in the car than there is on this thing. Like, what is, what is going on here? And I'm like, surely this isn't it. But no, we start to go up. I'm like, wait a second, you guys forgot a few steps here, right? Like, this, you forgot some things. But no, it was too late where we were going. And I'm just thinking, I, and I, I was convinced, I'm going to slip right out of this. Like, I'm just going to slip out. It's not tight enough. Like, listen, it shakes a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, there's no way this is enough. And so I'm holding on for dear life. I'm just like holding on to whatever I can grab because I am convinced I'm going to slide right out of this thing and I'm going to die. Like this is, this is how I go. And so it's going up and it's going higher and higher and higher. And I'm just like, I'm not going to look, right? Like I'm just, I'm, you know, fine, I'm here. I have to do it, but I'm not going to look. So I got my eyes as clenched, as tight as I can. And I'm just, man, I'm just like, I can't fly. I can't all clenched up as clenched up can be, you know? And Pastor Mark's loving it. Like, he's like, oh, this is so great. He's like, this is beautiful. Trevor, look at the view. Look, look at this. Open your eyes. I'm like, no, shut up. Shh. Like, quiet. Find a happy place, you know? And he's like, no, this is, this is great. You've got to experience this. I'm like, no, please stop talking to me, you know? <laughs> and we get higher and higher and higher. And finally, we get to the very top. And this thing is high. Like, I know, like, like you, you know, you've probably been on one of, the, the, you know, one of those towers before. But I'm pretty sure this was taller than all of them, you know? This was super tall. And so it goes all the way. You can see the whole park. I mean, you can see the whole city. You can see the ocean. You can see everything, you know? Like, like it was insane. I mean, you could touch the airplanes as they passed by. <laughs> and so I am just absolutely terrified. And I'm like, I'm not going to, to, to open my eyes. And then somehow, I don't know how it happened, I opened my eyes. And I see this beautiful terror, you know, like, like, it was beautiful, but I was too terrified to enjoy it. You know what I mean? It was just insane. Everybody that where we were were tiny little dots. 
And I'm just like, I'm just freaking out. And there's nothing I can do but just let this happen. And so I'm sitting there and I'm freaking out. And then all of a sudden it drops, you know? And, and you're waiting for the drop. That's like the worst part. You're like, when is this gonna happen? You know, can we please get on with this? And then it just drops. And you literally just feel your guts shoot to, out of your face. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and the worst part of it is, is then you like separate from your seat, and you like this feeling of weightlessness and you're like, oh my gosh, like there's nothing holding on to me right now. Like I'm literally falling to my death. And, I, and, and when I fell, I got to tell you, there was a noise that came from somewhere. <laughs> One of the kids on the, I don't know, somewhere. There was this blood curdling scream that I had never heard or known could be heard before, you know? It was just this terrible, terrible, absolute blood-curdling scream. And it didn't matter how, like, tough I wanted to be, although I wasn't trying to be at all. I mean, I screamed like a little girl. <laughs> I mean, in fact, little girls wish they could have screamed like I screamed, you know? And I screamed and screamed, and it, it, it launches you down to the ground, and it shoots you back up, and then back down and back up, and it goes back and forth for way too long, and finally the nightmare ends, and we come down to a ride, down to the end of the ride, or, you know, at the end, and the, you know, teenage girl that's working it, you know, opens, you know, opens the bar, and, you know, like, looks at you like, are you crying? And it's like, no, I got allergies, you know? <laughs> but I was definitely crying a lot. And screaming and crying, and, and I thank God like nothing else happened. Yeah. But here, here's the thing. I, I was, I, as terrible as it was and as thankful as I was that it was over, I felt good. Like there was this sense of pride that was inside of me. And I didn't really want to admit it to Pastor Mark, you know what I mean? But, but that was, but like I, I was like, I did it. I accomplished it. And, and, and I complained, but inside I felt good. And then we went from there to every single roller coaster. Now, every single roller coaster, I, I complained, I fought, I resisted. And on every single one, we went on and I felt like, man, I did it. And I felt this sense of, of accomplishment. And I, and, 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 I'm, and I walked away from the park that day, having conquered every single roller coaster in the park. And I'm like, yeah, I can do this now. And, and here's, and, and what, like, no, no good job? Come on, guys. Like, I conquered my fear. I'm just kidding. Thank you, thank you. But here's the point, and the reason why I tell you this story is because for so long, I had paid the price to enter to the park, and I had access to all of the rides, but I was content with just staying on the ground. And, and, and I feel like there's so many people in the church today that they, 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 they're, they're, in the, they're, they're there, they're in the church, right? They're, they're, they're in the park, so to speak, and, 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 they're, and they're looking and they have access to all of the things that God has given us and provided for us, and yet we are content with just holding the bags. We are content with just staying where we are, and we think being in the park is good enough, but church, I want you to know today, God is calling you to get on the ride. He's calling you to let go of the baggage and to experience the promises of God in our lives. Not just so that you could look, be on the outside looking in. And I know there's people in the church and that's how they feel. And they're, and they're like, well, I'm here. I, I, I've come, but, but ah, I just don't know if I can let go. Somebody's got to watch these bags. I don't know if I can experience God the way they're experiencing God because I gotta, somebody's gotta, somebody's gotta do this. And church today, God is saying, listen, let go of your backs. 
Let go of what it is that you're holding on to and experience the things that God has for you and I today. So the Apostle Paul mentioned some of these things in this passage of scripture that Kennedy read for us earlier. And I wanna go over some of those and, and just share that with you. The, the three main things, and they kind of connect to a few other things that the Apostle Paul talks about here, is in verse two. Excuse me. So in verse two, he says to Timothy, my beloved child, he's, he, he's introducing him. This is a pretty standard opener for Paul's letters. And he says to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, as I'm reading this and looking at that, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like Paul's letters. That's often how he says hi, right? He says, hey, hey, hi, grace, mercy, and peace to you from Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. But, but here's the thing. Although this is a standard greeting, I want to encourage you not to just read past the standard greeting. Because there's something in here for us. Is it a greeting? Absolutely, it's a greeting. And it's the standard greeting. Why is it the standard greeting? Because church, it's the standard. It's the standard that God is calling us. This is this, Paul is saying, hey, listen, Timothy, this, hey, this is what you should be living in. This is what your life should be reflecting, the mercy and the grace and the peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, yes, this is a standard greeting, but church, I think sometimes we go, like, want to fly past the standard stuff, and we're like, oh, give me the advanced stuff, but we haven't figured out the standard stuff first. Yeah. We, gotta, we've gotta, we need to be content with realizing, man, if we, could just, if we could just grab a hold of the grace and the mercy and the peace of Christ Jesus, how much different would our lives look than they would from right now? Because I can promise you this, I know this, because God's been speaking to me about it. Man, you're, some of us, we're missing this. Are you living in the peace of God? Can you say that? Can you say that you're living in his grace and his mercy? Uh, can we, are, we, are those things, are, are we pursuing them? I think oftentimes we're missing them. And so he says, grace, mercy, and peace. You all, I want to start by looking at mercy. He, he says grace first, but I'm, I'm, I want to look at mercy. He says Mercy. What is, what is mercy? He says to Timothy, may you have the mercy of Christ Jesus. Uh, I think a, a good definition, at least for me, in my opinion, is for mercy is compassionate treatment of those in distress. Mercy is, is so important for us to understand this attribute of Jesus Christ because it's compassionate treatment, listen, of those who are in distress. So, so mercy is this thing that, that we receive. Not, it, it comes with grace, okay? So let's understand grace and mercy. These are very similar things, but they're different. Okay, they're related very closely. They come hand in hand. It's, it's two sides of the same coin. But mercy is so important because what is mercy? It's this compassionate treatment of not someone who deserves compassionate treatment, not someone who's earned compassionate treatment, of somebody who's in a place of distress, someone who needs it. And I love what it says in Romans 5.8. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, mercy is important because mercy comes to those who are still in this place of, of struggle. The mercy is for those who are in this place of, of distress, of hurt, of pain, of sin, of rebellion. And God, instead of leaving us in that place, he saw us in our distress. He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our rebellion. And he had compassion for us there. And he had love for us there. In that bad, dark place, Jesus sees you and he loves you there. 
And church, it's so important for us to remember that's where God's love meets us. That's where God's love is available for us. And, and here's, listen, here, and here's the thing that I think we miss sometimes. We, maybe many of us know, yes, God's mercy was made available to me when I called upon him, when I accepted him as Lord and Savior, when I became saved, the, the mercy of God was involved in that work. But can I tell you, church, that the mercy of God doesn't stop there. It's not just like a one time you get mercy once and now, now it mercy, there's no more mercy. No, 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 we need mercy all the time. We need God's mercy every day. At no point do we go like, okay, God, I know I, I don't need your mercy anymore. Like, no, we still need God's mercy. Lamentations 3 says it this way in verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Man, isn't that good news, church? Every morning, God has new mercies to pour out on you. Every morning, God has mercy for you. Wherever you may be going through, whatever you may be facing, the mercy of God is available to you and I today. And, and that's important for us because we know as Christians, we, I mean, uh, you know, when we, when we gave our lives to Christ, it, it wasn't all just rainbows and butterflies after that. Like we, we, we know, we understand that the Christian life is difficult sometimes. We know that it's hard, that we face difficulties, that we face hardships, that we face hurt, we face pain. Jesus said, you will have trouble, and you all say, amen, I've got some trouble, right? So praise God, guess what that means? That means you are a candidate for the mercy of God to be activated in your life. And so, and so no, we have to understand, we still need his mercy. I still need God's mercy because I still got to deal with trouble. I still got to deal with the flesh. I still got hurt and pain and difficulties. Paul says to Timothy here in our passage of scripture in verse four, he says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you. You see, so the apostle Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, he says, man, I remember your tears. You see, why do we need mercy? Because we've got tears. He, he's, telling, he's talking to Timothy. He's like, man, you need the mercy of God in your life because as I'm praying for you, I'm reminded of the struggle that you're facing. I'm reminded of the pain that you're going through. I'm reminded of the difficulties that you're dealing with. I'm reminded of all of the stuff that's happening in your life. So, but guess what? I, I know there's tears, but God's mercy is for you today. God's mercy can carry you today. God's mercy is there to be with you. Paul, when he prayed for Timothy, he remembered his tears, church. We need mercy every day because every day we face distress. But I love that, that no matter what we may be facing, no matter what you may be going through today, God, the mercy of God is there and that means he sees what you're going through. And not only does he see it, he cares about it, church. He cares about the things that you care about. I, I know this seems like kind of like a Sunday school thing, but when you really begin to grab a hold of that, that's like, that is an incredible revelation to know that the God of everything, the God, the Alpha and Omega, the guy that we can't apostle, I mean, he's so far beyond us, cares about what you're going through. He cares about it. Psalm 56, 8 says, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And he sees you. When you can't sleep at night, he sees you. When you're crying, when your heart is broken, he sees it. He knows it. He's close to you. The Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. And so church, uh, no matter what we may be facing or going through, we have to understand that we are going to face things. We are going to go through things, and therefore we need God's mercy in our life. Yeah. 
Now praise God for the promise. Revelation 21 says that in verse four, he will wipe away every tear. Why will he wipe away every tear? Because you're gonna have a lot of them. (laughs) There's gonna be a lot that he's gonna have to wipe away, but praise God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So we have that great hope in Christ. But as long as we're here, as long as we're on this earth, we know we're gonna have some tears. We know we're gonna have some pain. And there's a couple of different kinds of tears that we may experience. We, 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 may, we may experience tears of suffering, tears of just, ha- just, just, just hurting because things aren't going the way, it just hurts. You know, sometimes life just hurts, right? And so uh, we, see that. we see that in the life of Christ. In, in John eleven thirty five, one of the most famous passages of scripture because it is the shortest. Jesus wept. Now, if you Jesus wept. Memorize, now you do. Jesus wept. Good job. Jesus wept. We know Jesus wept. What's interesting about this is that it's written when Jesus was going to see Lazarus. And I just think this is so interesting because here's Lazarus and he's dead in the grave for three days and Jesus comes and Jesus comes with the mission. He, he knows what's gonna happen. Nobody else knows. He knows he's gonna call Lazarus out. This isn't the end for Lazarus. Lazarus still got some stuff to do. And so he's coming knowing he's gonna call Lazarus out of that grave. But as he comes, knowing full well what he's about to do, he begins to see how his friends and he sees his family members and he sees those who who are hurting because of this loss and he hurts with them. He sees their mourning and he mourns with them. And so listen, praise God, church. I would love if God would just take away all of my problems, but he doesn't. But he weeps with me in them. He walks with me through them. He is there, and and instead of just taking them away, he uses them to display his glory in my life. So we need his mercy every day because we're going to face problems, and we're going to have troubles, and we're going to weep. But no, he weeps with you. He weeps with you, and he's going to use that for his glory. The second place where we see Jesus weeping is in Luke 19. In verse 41, it says, When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he sees the city of God, he begins to weep over it. Why? Because his heart is broken over the sin. His heart is broken over their rebellion, over their rejection of God, over the the rejection of him as their Messiah. And, And he sees the future, the consequences of their sin and the destruction that's to come. And as a result, he weeps. His heart is broken. And church, there's a place and there should be a place in you and I where our hearts are broken, where we weep not just for the trouble that we experience, but our hearts are broken for the sin that we see in the world for the sin that we see in our lives, for the sin that we see in those that we love and care about. Listen, church, as as we begin to experience the mercy of God, he, his mercy and his love uh, carries us through these moments, but as we begin to uh, experience that, his love should be coming in us, giving us the same heart for the things that he cares about, to love the things he loves and and hate the things that he hates. So the apostle Paul writes to Timothy here in verse seven, he says, for God gave us, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So listen, God hasn't given us uh, this spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of love, and that love, the love of God dwelling within us should compel us to not only experience his mercy for us, but mercy for others as well. 
That our hearts would break over the things that, that God's heart breaks over. Church, the Christian life is a life that should be stained with tears. When was the last time you came to God's presence and your heart was just, you couldn't help but cry because your heart was so broken, because you were so hungry, because you were so desperate, because you were so in need of him? We don't weep enough. There was an a evangelist in the 1800s and there was a group of ladies who were missionaries in this town, and, and they were doing this work, and they were getting nowhere. They were having a real problem. And so they sent a telegram to this evangelist saying, hey, you know, what should we do? And he sends back a message, and he very simply, all he says is, try weeping. Why? Because our hearts should be breaking over the things of God. They should be breaking over the things that God's heart is broken over. Do, our, do, do we care about the status of our city? Do we care about what's happening in the world around us? Do we care about what's happening in our family? Is there any weeping that comes with it? Church, as Christians, weeping is a part of it. There should be weeping. There will be weeping. And that is what God's mercy does in our life. The second thing, which is really the first thing that Paul mentions in this letter, is grace. And he talks to Timothy and he says, grace be to you. Well, what is grace? Well, grace is a simple definition. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. And so this comes hand in hand with mercy. But I wanted to, I wanted to talk about this after mercy because mercy is compassion for those who are in distress. So, and it's this place of holding back what we deserve, right? Like we're in rebellion, we're in sin, we deserve the wrath of God, but instead, by God's grace, we receive compassion, right? And so, and so we don't get what we deserve with mercy, but with grace, we get what we don't deserve. God gives us his unmerited favor. He gives us his favor. He gives us his love, which we don't earn, which we can't uh, uh, obtain on our own. And God's grace is available for us. And he, and he says to Timothy in, in verse five here, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So church, understand that he comments on Timothy's faith here. He says, as he's writing to Timothy, he's excited. He's like, man, Timothy, I I'm reminded of your incredible faith. But what's interesting about this faith is he doesn't give Timothy any credit for that faith. He says, this faith that you have, it was first with your mom, and then it was first with your grandmother, and then with your mom, it was ultimately, it was a gift from God. And church, understand that if we have faith, we, have, we must know that that faith is a gift of God's grace at work in our lives. Faith is not something that we do, it's something God does. God gives us faith, God produces faith. It's a gift of God's grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of grace. God, so that no man should boast. So he mentions to Timothy, he comments on his faith, and we have to understand that faith is a direct result of God's grace at work in Timothy's life. The grace of God will produce faith in us. It will produce faith in you. And what I love about this is he comments to Timothy and he says, this faith, it's a sincere faith. I think that's interesting. What does that mean? What is a, what is a sincere faith? I, 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 I would define it as this, Faith that dictates my thoughts and behaviors. It's real faith, in other words. You know, there, there, there's one people, people might call a knowledge 
or a belief faith, but that's not faith, that's just knowledge and belief. But faith, real faith, sincere faith, actual faith, is faith that is at work in our lives. It's producing something in us. It's not just something I know and then I put it on the shelf. No, it's something that is applied in my life. It changes my thoughts and it changes my actions. And that's what faith does. It produces the works of God. <clears throat> the gift of faith brings us to God's word. And listen, and then there is a building. As we hear the word of God, you know, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, then there is this building up of the faith. There is this encouraging of the faith that we need to participate in and be a part of. But it is a gift that God gives us. So in 2 Timothy, in this passage, in our passage here in verse 7, I'm going to read this verse again. It's going to keep coming up. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That word power there matches beautifully with grace. Because grace produces the faith in our life, and faith gives us access to the power of God. And so as we have faith, as we're walking in grace, grace produces faith. And as faith is, is being produced in our life, it gives us access to the power of God so that we now have the power to live the life that God is calling us to live in Christ Jesus. It's not something you and I can do. It's something that he is producing in us. But, but, but it's important that we understand this is a work that Christ is doing. 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. He's saying, so there's people, they're in the park, but they're not getting on the ride. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they're here, but they're holding on to the baggage. And he's saying, man, avoid them. They're denying the power of God. And I love 2 Timothy 1, 3. He says, his divine power has granted to us the th uh, all things, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So God's grace produces in us faith that gives us access to power to live a life you and I would never live apart from that. To live a life of godliness. Not by my own work, not by what I'm doing, but what God is producing in me through the gift of faith and power of the Holy Spirit at work. And then the last thing the Apostle Paul mentions here is peace. He says grace, mercy, and peace. Church, as we experience the mercy of God in our life and the love of, and we have knowledge and revelation of God's love despite our weeping, despite our rebellion, despite what we may be facing, when we have that love that, from the mercy of God, when we experience that, uh, that love, the result is grace. And as we experience God's grace and we just walk in, in, in God's grace, God's grace produces faith. And that faith gives us access to, to the power of the Holy Spirit that, that, that helps us to live a life of godliness that we couldn't live apart from him. And when these things happen in our life, can I tell you the result is peace. And what is peace? And listen, there's a lot. I'm kind of giving you a 10,000 foot view on all of this stuff because there's so much to talk about in all of this. But a simple definition that I would bring to you today of peace would be being in right relationship with God. What does real peace look like? Right relationship with God. Now, are there feelings of peace? Absolutely. 
And certainly God wants us to have those feelings, but sometimes we can be deceived by feelings. And so I feel like the best uh, 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 definition for us today of peace is knowing that I'm in right relationship with God. That is true peace. That is ultimate peace. That is where, where it's at. And so are we in peace with God? Well, if I'm walking in his grace and I'm walking in his mercy and those uh, uh, characteristics of God are producing uh, those gifts of God in my life, you better believe I have peace because I'm in right relationship with God. And that's what God desires, Colossians 3.15. says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which, uh, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. There's peace for us. When, when we experience the love and the mercy and the grace of God, there is peace as a result. But here's the thing about peace, I think. I think sometimes we think that peace Okay, I've got peace, and then that's it. There's nothing left to do. I just, I'm just, I've got it. But, but the reality of it is, is I feel like peace also produces a work in our life. That if we're in right relationship with God, it doesn't mean that we're just complacent. It doesn't mean that we're just become stagnant. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing to Timothy here in verse six, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so, so he's saying to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, listen, you've got a gift. You've got a call. God's, God's got a purpose and a plan for your life. And listen, there's things for you to do. Pastor Mark talked about that last week. You're a part of the body of Christ. God has something for you to do. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. Therefore, don't be lazy with that. He says, care about that. Take care of it, right? He says, he says there's a flame there. There's a spark. Fan it into flame. Then nurture it. Care for it. Take care of it, feed it. So there's something that God has deposited in us. There's these gifts that God has given us, but they're not for us just to hold on to and forget about. But instead, they're for us to care about, to take a hold of, and to begin to apply in our lives, to feed them, to nurture them, to fan them into flame. But church, we cannot do this when we're just going through the motions. When we're just waiting, we're just, just going through life. We must reject complacency. The peace of God in us will cause us to hate complacency. Amen. It'll cause us to long for more of him. I, I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 42. I love this psalm. He says, as a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? The psalmist here, he's writing, and he's saying, man, I am thirsty for God. He's saying, I'm desperate for God. I need God. I want God. I, I can't live without God. I can't wait till I can be before him again. I just want God. And so often, I feel like we get into this place where we're just going through the motions. And we just think, well, I got God. And there's no pursuit there's no passion, there's no zeal, there's no, there's no hunger or thirst that's driving us saying, God, if I don't get more of you in my life, I'm going to die. God, if you don't show up, if you don't reveal yourself to me, if you don't, if you don't, uh, uh, if you don't draw me close, I don't want to live. I, I love that about Moses. He said, listen, forget the promised land. If I don't have you, I'm not going. I'm not, I, it's just because what, what matters is you, oh God. 
not what you can give me, not what you can provide for me, not what you can do. I just want you. That's somebody who's in, who, ha, who knows the peace of God because it's just God and nothing else. All I want is God. And church, I would ask you to examine your heart today and ask yourself, do you thirst for God? Or are you in that place where you're like, yeah, God's cool, you know? Yeah, I believe. See, I think complacency, I think there's lots of indicators of complacency. And I would encourage you to look at your life and what areas of your life are you complacent? Because I would be willing to bet if there's certain areas in your life where you are complacent, that's a good indicator that you may be complacent in your pursuit of God. Are you, are you complacent in your marriage? Are, are you complacent with your family? Are, are you complacent in your job? Are you complacent at church? Are you just going through the motions in these areas of life? Because I, I, I feel very strongly that someone who is thirsty for God and pursuing God and getting on into God's presence can't help but let the presence of God, the pursuit of God to overflow in every single area of their life. And so where, where, where the, the walking and living in godliness and pursuing these things becomes more and more evident to those around them. Why? Because of the work of God that's happening in the secret, in the quiet place that nobody sees. Are you thirsty for him today? Worship team, if, if you guys want to come back up or I don't know if we're going to do that or how we're going to close out, but I want to close this morning. Second Timothy, uh, he ends... Well, in verse seven here, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, which relates to God's grace, and love, which relates to his mercy, and self-control, which relates to the peace of God. Because in God's peace, when he, because in God's peace, we will exercise self-control. We, we, we will have the mind of Christ. We will fight against complacency. 1 Corinthians 9, 26, he says, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So when we thirst for God, when we're hungry for God, when we desire for God, when there's this pursuit of God, our flesh sometimes rejects it. Sometimes our flesh says, I don't want to go on the roller coaster. It's scary. I don't have any control on that, right? But we say, no, this is, this is what you need to do. Again, please, roller coasters are an analogy. <laughs> but self-control, it's, it's that place of disciplining ourselves, saying, no, I'm going to pursue God today. Is there something else I could be doing? Yeah, but there's nothing else that matters more. There's nothing else that matters more than getting into his presence. There's nothing else that matters more than getting into his word. There's nothing else that matters more than, than, than worshiping him today, that he is God. And so church, I want to encourage you today. God's standard of living for the Christian is a standard of, of the Christian walking in the grace and the mercy and the peace of God. Are we walking in those attributes of the promise of God? Are we living our life according to the promise or are we living it reactionary to whatever's happening around us? Get on the ride today. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today 
for the incredible promise that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And God, I just want to come before you and confess the reality of it is, is God, it becomes really, really easy just to go through the motions. And, and God, we, we, we oftentimes, we, man, we, we, we have this, uh, God, we have this experience with you or, or we have this moment with you and then we just move right past that and back into all the cares and the worries and the troubles of this world. But Lord, I pray today that you would help us to stop living in those things and start living according to the promise of God at work in our life. God, for every single person here, that you would begin to show them maybe an area in which they're lacking here, a place where they have, for whatever reason, ignored, allowed fear to keep them from. And God, we ask Jesus that you would just begin right now to do that work in us according to your mercy, by the power of your grace, that we might experience peace with you and know peace with you forever. As long as we live, we thank you for it. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Church, if you would, we'll just close with a song, if that's okay. Uh, we'll worship. The altar is open. If you would like prayer, I would love to pray with you today. The altar is open. And uh, we'll, we'll just close out with this song. But uh, just stand to your feet and let's worship it together.